Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Christ is risen. Is risen indeed. You almost sound like you believed it. That was the warm up. Can we try that again? Christ is risen. Is risen Amen. Praise be to God. This is the truth of the matter. And we have the wonderful blessing and privilege of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. And so before we go any further, let's just commit our time in the word to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you give us cause to celebrate. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are faithful. You are true to your word. And you have said that you would send your son into the world as a sacrifice. You prophesied it 700 years before he came. At the mouth of Isaiah, chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 11. Speaking of the Messiah who would come. And also in Isaiah, you prophesied his suffering in chapter 53. The fact that he would suffer and be numbered among the transgressors, be numbered among the lawless for us. And yet you prophesied that he would be risen, that his soul would not be left in Hades. That the Holy One would not see corruption, but that he would be raised from the dead. You burst into time and space with such a demonstration of your power, signifying your love. And we pray that you would help us to appreciate that all the more today. We pray that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit. And cause us to see with fresh eyes exactly what the death of your son and his resurrection means to our lives. So bless our time in your word today. Enable us as we seek to communicate your truth. Give us ears to hear, I pray, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Now, we're here to celebrate the the, the resurrection. And for some people, and maybe a few among us today, you're not really actually aware of what's the great celebration. There are many people who kind of feel that way. We see that by reason of the fact that church ain't packed out today. People don't fully appreciate what there is to celebrate. But generally, people like a celebration. People like a celebration. It's true. I wonder if there's anybody here um, who will be having a birthday, has had a birthday in April. You've got a birthday coming up or you've had a birthday already. Anybody? Okay. This, anybody's birthday this week? Okay. I'm, my, my wife is pregnant at the moment. We're going to be celebrating the birth of my child, of my third child, in, in about, about four, week, four weeks' time. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so put your hands up again. Sorry, put your hands up again if, you said, if you've had your birthday in the last week or so. Okay, all right. When, when in the last week? Yesterday. Any, can we get any better than yesterday? Obviously, unless it's today, then we can't, no. All right, my brother, what's your name, brother? Jay. Jake, brother, would you mind coming up the front? We're just going to celebrate your birthday. Come, come, brother. Come, come, come. Quick, come, 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 come. Just, it won't take long. It won't take long. We're not going to lay hands on you or anything. We just want to celebrate your birthday with you. I don't know if you've had a birthday cake and candles already. Have you? Yeah, no. Were you expecting this today? No, you clearly weren't. So, so you were 21 yesterday? 21 yesterday. All right, um, and your name's Jay. So Jay, we're going to sing happy birthday to Jay, just, just the first chorus, very quickly. 
and then he's going to blow out the candles, all right? All right, on three. One, two, three. Happy birthday to Jay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, DJ. Happy birthday to you. Amen. All right. Now, all right, we're nearly there. We're nearly there with the candles. Uh, you said, how, how many candles have you got there, bro? 21. Exactly. How do you know? Prophesying. Got the word of the Lord up in the place. Okay, right. Now, as you know, we're going to ask him to blow out the candles. Uh, and as we, as we know, you need to blow out all of the candles, brother. That's what they say, apparently. You need to blow out all the candles in order for your wish to come true. Apparently, that's what they say. Okay, so them say? That's not what we're saying, but that's, apparently, that's what they say. Okay, so let's see if he can do that. I didn't realize that. I thought, brother, light them, man. Come, I beg you. That's enough. That's fine. That's enough. There's going to be no cake left. It's chocolate fudge cake, brother. I want to eat some of that later on. All right, Jay's already nervous, brother. Let's get him. All right, let's see if we can blow these candles out. They're all alight, imagine. All right, let's see if you can, on three, see if you can blow them all out, brother, right? Okay, one, two, three. Yay! Oh, 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 no, 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 you missed one, bruv. Bruv, you missed one. Bruv, oh, bruv. Bruv, all right, a round of applause for Jay. Thank you, Jay. Can we have fire extinguishers at the front now? All right, so, good luck. Okay. Well, good luck to everyone to put them up. Oh, can we have some assistance? Yeah. It's all, un- it's all under control. We-, we-, we planned this. We planned this earlier. That's why we need our wives, you see, to come and bail us out. All right. You blow out, many of us have done it. You know what I mean? Time in, time out, you go to a birthday, you blow out candles, you, you make a wish. If you're a Christian, you probably don't say that you make a wish. But you know, even in the back of your mind, you're still kind of willing the person to blow the candles out. Um, good luck. What other, what other things that we can relate to good luck? Rabbit's foot. It's not good luck for the rabbit, obviously, but apparently <laughs> holding, a, holding a, a, a white rabbit's foot, I think it has to be a white rabbit, I'm not sure what that is. A white rabbit's foot is supposedly good luck. Four cle- uh, a four-leaf clover. If you spill salt, apparently, if you pick it up with your right hand, you're supposed to throw it over the left shoulder. Um, itchy palms. What does that mean? Mine, oh, 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 my goodness. But, but, but none of us believe in luck, though, do we? But we will know. Okay. Um, but in opposition to good luck, there's also bad luck. Who can tell me some things that we, that we think? No, hold on, like? hold on, bro. Before oh, we get onto oh, the bad luck, oh, I know that Jake didn't blow them all out, right? Right. But I got a blessing for him still. Oh, and and it's that. funny how the Lord orchestrates this, Amen. you know, because I said that I was going to bring this for him, and I didn't know it was his birthday. Jeez. And he oh, get he get candles that? and and you see. Amen. Bro. Praise God. Bless you, man. There you go. Amen. What a Lord knows. Right. Lord knows. So. Bad luck. What things? What, what things do we think of with regards to black cat? Huh? Oh, hold on, hold on. Shh. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just the ladies at first. Breaking, breaking the mirror. Four, uh, black cat running across your path, walking under a ladder. I reckon that one was just one day. Someone's walking under a ladder. So a tin of paint dropped on someone's head years ago, and then from that point, it, 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 they say that it's bad luck. Uh, Friday the thirteenth, the number thirteen. All these things are, are supposedly related to. Uh, to bad luck. Um, so, yeah, apparently, um, that's seven years. Apparently, yeah, bro. That's uh, seven is the number of completion. And surely you're not going to do that, e, up in church, bro. Um, who, who thinks he's going to do it? Is he brave enough, bro? That's seven years. Bruv, you can see that we've, we've been planning this for weeks. This is the 15th mirror that we've tried to smash. Bruv, oh my goodness, seven years. Bruv, 14 years. It's accumulative, maybe. Bruv, that's not a good look. Oh my goodness. Is, is anybody feeling nervous? I know that some of you are feeling nervous. You're pretending you're not, but I'm sure some of you are feeling nervous. Hey, oh my goodness. So, good luck, bad luck. What do you want to say to us, bro? 14 years. It's so quiet now, it is. 
Now, some of you look genuinely nervous when I pick up the hammer. It seems that I think I can feel some of you praying for me now. <laughs> the things that we associate with good luck, the things we associate with bad luck. For some, this is actually stuff that people live their lives by. Won't walk on the cracks, spill salt. The people will actually do that. For some, it's merely a superstition. Ah, I don't believe in luck. Got nothing to do with me. And it's interesting because the account of Christ, his death and resurrection, is very often responded to in the same way. Some people see it as true and real and live their life accordingly. And for some people, it's merely a superstition. Now, if somebody had quote-unquote continual bad luck, what would you think? What would you suggest that that person might be experiencing? I mean, when somebody just has what they call constant bad luck, what would, what would you say about it? Is that person like... Some of us might feel like that sometimes, right? Like things are just constantly going on, going wrong, and it's relentless, and we sit down and we're like, man, I wonder if there's some kind of generational curse on my life. Cursed. Well, let me tell you something, as a matter of fact, and this is something that God has revealed. God has revealed this, that actually you are cursed. And it's not a superstition. It's not a, um, well, you can take it or leave it. This is what God has said. That actually, you are under a curse. Your life is cursed. Your children, your family, you want to talk about generational curses, ancestors, cursed. And that's a matter of fact. God has said it. In fact, everyone is cursed. Everyone born onto the planet is born with a curse over their lives. And this is what God has said. Every person in every country, the whole world, is sobering. To consider the truth of that statement, the fact that we're all cursed, and the fact that we can hear a pin drop at the moment is evidence to that. Now, some of you may be saying that's a bit going a bit too far to say that we're cursed. But if you just look at a simple, a few uh, simple things that we see happening within the world at the moment, so we see earthquakes. It wasn't too long ago I saw literally streets floating not streets, uh, houses floating down the street in uh, Japan, whole cities and, and towns moving. We see tornadoes, hurricanes, lightning strikes, tsunamis. All these things are evidence of the fact that the world is cursed. Nobody can deny that. It's just been happening over the last few years. It's ever since we, the, 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 the fall, we go back to Genesis, ever since that point, the world has been cursed. So it's evident. It's not something that we're making up, that God's making up. We see the evidence of it in nature, but also within our relationships. There's evidence of the fall within our relationships and of the curse within our relationships. Why is it that we sin? Why is it that we can't seem to get along? Why is it that we can't find this peace that seems to keep eluding us? I was speaking to somebody the other day, and this guy was saying he thinks that heaven's on earth. I was like, bruv, if, if, if heaven is on earth, what kind of heaven is it that you, you've got a very small view of what heaven must be? And he said, no, I'm hoping you know, one day that there's going to be world peace. But they've been saying that for decades. You see the evidence of the curse. True indeed. We see it in our communities firsthand. Gang issues, rebellious youth. We see it in our families. This one's not talking to this one and hasn't been for years. We see it in ourselves, our inability 
to go a week, to go a day without sin. I mean, there must be something dysfunctional, right? Well, the scripture reveals in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning, the scripture reveals the origin of this curse. Genesis 2, 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In Genesis 3, 11 to 19, reads, And he said, that is God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain shall you bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so we, here we see the introduction of the curse into the world. What was once a perfect environment with perfect people, corruption has now entered because the curse has been pronounced. And we see three things concerning the curse from these texts. We see the consequences... We see the cause and we see the creator of the curse. The consequences, we've talked about some already. Why are there tsunamis? Why is it that thousands of people can be wiped out almost indiscriminately? Earthquakes. I mean... It goes right down to the minute detail. Doing your gardening and you get pricked by a thorn. All of this is evidence of the curse. And it's evidenced in the planet and the environment. So if you've ever wondered why can't things be different, it's because the planet is cursed. We see it in people's lives. And in the text we understand that actually what's pronounced is death. Death entered into the world when there was not death before. And that goes from relational death. Marriages can't stay together. Kids won't stay submitted to parents. Parents will abandon children. Natural death. Have you ever wondered why do people actually die? Why, why do people die? Like Why can't we just go on living? And look good as well, without Botox. <laughs> Facelifts. Like, why, why not? Natural death entered into the world because of the curse. And so if you've ever had a fear of death, if you've ever had a close shave with death, and you, you, you knew that your life almost came to an end, that right there is evidence of the curse that you are under. That we are all under. But ultimately... Spiritual death. Separation from God. God is life. In him is life. And in him only, spiritually speaking. And to be separated from God 
is to be dead. Spiritually speaking. In that text we also see another character in the story and that was Satan. And Satan himself was cursed, having rebelled against God. And yet we see that Satan actually rules over the cursed. He rules over all that are cursed. In Ephesians 2, it tells us, for believers that you were made alive, God made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So Satan is called there the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this environment that is earth. He who is cursed supremely rules over the cursed and is given license to interfere and have influence and power over all those that are. So they're the consequences. So as well as the consequences, we have the cause. What is the cause for this curse? Why are we cursed? Why is the world cursed? Why are we experiencing this curse? And it's because of sin. Small word, small word with massive implications. Galatians 3.10 says, For as many as are, are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The scary thing is that God's standard for relationship is perfection. You've got the Ten Commandments. If you break one of those commandments, you keep all, keep all the rest of them, which you couldn't do. But if you were just to break one of them just once, then you've broken all of them. You then are a sinner. And there's none of us in here who hasn't, who hasn't broken those, those laws. We've lied, we've stolen, we've cheated, we've wanted stuff that other people have. We do it continually. What is sin? 1 John 3, 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. That's what we're without law. We're, 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 we've broken God's laws. Every one of us in here is, is guilty of that. Romans 3.23 testifies to that fact that it's all of us. It's not just one or two of us. If there were any in here who were about to break the ninth commandment and lie and, and consider that you, that you, you weren't one of, one of these. Um, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short, fallen short of the glory of God. God's perfect standard. We've all sinned and fallen short of that. This is why we're cursed. This is the cause of the curse is, is our sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, Sin entered the world. Adam sinned. Sin entered the world through that one man. And death through sin. So the consequence of that sin is death. As Ephraim mentioned, spiritual death. Because we look in, in Genesis and we see that we read on, they don't die. God said that they would die if they sinned. They didn't die immediately. But spiritually, they were now separated from God. They died spiritually. And that's death spread to all men. That's me, you, everybody that we know. Because all sinned. So we've inherited a sinful nature. We're, sadly to say, rotten at the core. It's not, a, not an easy thing to say, but it's, it's the truth. And it's, it's important that we, we, we come to terms with that. The Bible makes it very clear mm. that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. And you might say, well, that's just how I am. Isn't it? Why, why should God consider me as being wrong for just being how I am? Well, the reality is that it wasn't always that way. When Adam stood in the garden and God gave him the command, don't eat. Eat from, look at all the choice you've got. Just this one tree I keep from you. Right there he had moral choice. And if we were standing in that place, we would have done the same thing. That is absolutely guaranteed. And so therefore, it's only reasonable that we inherit that sin in the way that we inherit our features from our 
ancestors, ancestors from our father, mother, whoever. We inherit the potential, the capacity to sin. King David, one of God's choice servants, said, I was born in sin and I was formed in iniquity. And so, yes, we are born with that potential and we are born with that capacity. It is a part of our nature. It is a part of human nature. And hence, the pronouncing of the curse. Now, one thing that is important to understand is, when it comes to the the creation of the curse, what's, what's the source? Was it Satan who brought the curse? Was it, was it man who... No, the source of the curse is God. Sin is the cause, the catalyst, but it was actually God who pronounced the curse in judgment of sin. And so, we see clearly that God has pronounced this curse that we are under and we cannot get out from under it by ourselves. Who can resist God? I mean, if it was, you know, the Jujuman or voodoo or witch doctor, you know, we might run, you know, you see in the films, they run to the Catholic priests to try and get some relief from this curse that they're under. Father, can you help me? I am under the curse. Oh, and the sweating, and they've got their rosemary beads. Holy water. Some go to their, their gurus or their shamans trying to avoid this curse. But who can resist God's curse? He's the Almighty. So, which of us can free ourselves from God's curse? The answer is none of us can. None of us can. But there is good news because God can. God can. So we read uh, Galatians 3.13. I mean, where, would you, where do we go if, God, if, God has, if it's true that God has cursed us, then where do we go to, for help with that? There's only one place we go, and it's to God. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Let me read that again. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So God is the cure in Christ. He doesn't merely provide the cure. He actually is the cure. That's deep. When you think about it, God himself, God himself became sin for us. He took our curse and put it on himself in his son, Jesus Christ, in order to break the curse for all those who put their faith and their trust in Christ. It's too good. It's almost too good to be true. It's amazing grace that God would do that willingly, not for any, any, part, any good on our part. We get a, we're going to have a look at a little a clip now just, just to have a little illustration of the, the, the fact that Jesus became a curse for us. I've seen this. This is it. This is the end. You were laying right there, just like that. I, I, I stand here, right here. I'm, I'm supposed to say something. I say, everything that has a beginning has an end, Neo. What? What did I just say? Can't be right. Get away from me! What are you 
Trick! You were right, sir. You're always right. It was inevitable. Is it over? My days. So we see the chosen one submit himself to the attack of the enemy and take on the the darkness, if you like, as you see him go black and become like the enemy. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. God cursed his son with our sin. He cursed his son. With our sin. That we might be free from the curse. That the curse might be broken. The Bible says that Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't resist. As they took him. And nailed him to the cross as a criminal. And he took the perfect one. Now, Neil weren't perfect. You know, and analogies always break down at some point, right? It's Hollywood. Come on, let's not get it twisted. Neil weren't perfect, but Jesus was perfect. Absolutely flawless. Impeccable. And yet he submitted himself to your sin. To my sin. To our sin. And he took the curse upon him. That we could be free. Jesus takes and breaks the curse. And we understand that this is evident not just in what happened on the cross. But even the way in which it happened. When we consider Jesus' last 24 hours. And we reflect on how this perfect innocent man was taken and ended up on the cross. We see the outworkings of the curse enveloping him. I'm going to ask if we can have. The reading of the first scene. <clears throat> if you could please be patient, because the guys have got, I've stapled the, the paper to go, it makes it a bit difficult, so there's going to be a pause as they turn, turn the pages. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand them over. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Go at once to Jesus, Judas said. Rabbi. And kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. 
when one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion? Said Jesus. That you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came. Peter followed at a distance, ready right into the courtyard of the, the priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sandrine were looking were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked, Are you king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and, G- and he answered nothing. But Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See but, how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whoever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who who was chained with his fellow rebels, he had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying out, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What do you want me to do with him, whom you call king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called called together the whole garrison and they clothed him with purple and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him hail king of the jews then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him and bowing the knee they mocked, they worshipped him and when they had mocked him they took the purple off him put his own clothes on him and led him to be crucified So here we see the account of the arrest and trial and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Just focusing on the arrest and the trial. We see the curse at work even in Jesus' arrest and trial. There were 11 points of Jewish law that were broken. Jesus' arrest and trial was illegal. I mean, you would expect that they would have to try and find some way to capture a perfect man, right? They'd have to try and find something against him, and they couldn't. And so they broke 11 of their own laws. Let me give you a couple of examples. 
The trial was illegal because they tried him at night. In Jewish law, they were not permitted to hold trials at night. Which makes sense, right? We recognize that Jesus did not have anyone to speak in his defense. So in the highest courts of the law of the land that we know, a person who is being put on trial has the right to a legal defense. Jesus had the right under Jewish law to a legal defense. And yet he was not granted one. We see that a sentence was passed upon Jesus within 24 hours of the trial, which was illegal. So the trial had to take place. They had to consider the evidence. And more than a day had to pass before they could come back and make sentence. To show that they've given careful deliberation and consideration. The purpose of the Jewish law in such instances was that they would aim to ensure an innocent person was not condemned. That is written. That is one of the 11 points of Jewish law that was broken. Upholding Jewish law, they were supposed to make sure that someone is truly innocent until proven guilty. We see the witnesses, their testimonies didn't agree. And there were at least six other points of law that they broke in order to arrest Jesus. Talk about being unfairly treated. Talk about a miscarriage of justice. Jesus took that. And consider this. It was having been betrayed by one of his closest. By one of his boys who had rode with him for three years. Betrayed with a kiss. We think people have been snaky with us. We think people have back, backbitten and talked about us and held malice and resentment or ill-treated us. This is the king of kings here. Submitting himself to sinful men. Amen. So that's the trial, scene one. If you're now going to read scene two, the crucifixion. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then, he gave them, then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left, so that the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him, drinking, offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Now, Jesus could have died in a million different ways. Um, he could have, you know, there were many times you see in the scriptures where individuals wanted to um, take him and kill him, but he, he would ease out of the crowd. Or, and it talks about the fact that he, it wasn't his time yet. Um, so many ways that he could have died, but he didn't die many ways. He died one way, and that's the crucifixion, this, which was prophesied like a thousand years prior to Christ coming, 700 years to a thousand years prior to him coming. Uh, it was prophesied. If we, if we have a look quickly in Psalm 22, 16 to 18, banging Psalm, Messianic Psalm. Um, where are we? 16 to 18. For dogs have surrounded me. The 
congregation of the wicked has enclosed, has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They, st- they look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So clearly he is speaking about the one who would come. Speaking about crucifixion, which hadn't, in- hadn't even been invented yet. It was invented by the Romans many years later. Um, so we see- what we're seeing is that, as, as we said before, the curse, God is the, the source of the curse. And it was always his intention to send Jesus to be that curse for us. To be that curse for you today, if you put your faith and your trust in him. There's no other way to, re- to reverse the curse. There's no, no, no way out of it. Apart from putting your faith and your trust in Christ. And really, if you think about it, how um, arrogant and rude would it be for us to say to God, you know what, look, I'm going I'm to try another way. Given that he's, he's cursed his own son for us. There is no other way. So, let's have a look. Um, we see the implications are that Jesus was cursed himself. So, from uh, Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, so we talked about it before, Adam, judgment came to all men. So, through Adam, we were all judged. We were all now inherently sinful. Resulting in condemnation, we're condemned. Even so, through one man's righteous act, that's Jesus Christ, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. So for all those who put their faith in Christ, the curse is reversed, as it were. He takes your curse and gives you his righteousness. Amen. And Galatians 3.13, again, is just something we need to consider carefully. Christ has redeemed us, speaking of believers, as from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that was a quotation from the Old Testament. And so Jesus had to die on the cross. He could have died under the whipping, but he didn't. Most people died under the whipping, but they, he didn't. Because it was his destiny and eternal purpose to die on the cross Taking and breaking the curse. Now how do we know that God was satisfied? How do we know that the curse was broken truly? What evidence do we have to confirm that to our hearts? That if we put our faith in Jesus, truly the curse over our lives is broken. Let's consider the final stage, scene three. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothes was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and they became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was, was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountains which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and some, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Praise God. The resurrection. The resurrection 
is more than enough evidence that, that anyone could hope for. Completely unique event in time and space. Completely unique event in history. And it actually happened. There was actually an empty tomb. The tomb, tombs in those days were normally covered by a, a big boulder that would weigh two tons. That's roughly the size of your average car, like your, your Golf or your, you know, Mondeo or something. Two tons. Now, do you think that a few disciples are going to be able to just roll away that stone, which considered is under Roman guard with the Roman seal of Caesar upon it? So anyone who breaks that seal faces death. And so the Roman guard were there to make sure no one tried it. And yet the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And to this day, they've never found his remains because he's alive. Would somebody who was going to steal the body and try and counterfeit the fact that Jesus raised from the dead leave his grave clothes in there? Now, if you understand the embalming process, you would understand that it would have taken them ages to unwrap him. When people were embalmed in those days, they would be embalmed with herbs and spices and so on. All wrapped in the, the, the linen cloth. The grave clothes were all there. In place. Jesus is alive. Not only were the ladies eyewitnesses, those who were the first on the scene at the tomb. The 11 disciples met with Jesus, ate with him. In fact, the apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was seen by over 500 witnesses at one time. Now you might say a couple people are deluded. Yeah, you look aghast. What have you been smoking? A few more now and you begin to think. But when you consider the testimony of 500 witnesses at one time, that's maybe three times the amount of people that we have in here now witnessing Jesus all together at one time, clearly recognizing him. And in fact, the testimonies were circulated at a time when these people were still alive. Any one of them could have turned around and said, no, nah, you're talking rubbish. That weren't Jesus. That was some other imposter. Fraud, looky-likey. Ultimately, the eyewitnesses died. They were killed for their testimony. All bar one did not die a natural death. But they were killed, and not just killed for being a nuisance, not killed for being rebels. They were killed because they would not change their story. I saw Jesus alive, and it is true. And if you don't like it, kill me. Because what else, what else can I tell you but the truth? Jesus is raised from the dead. Romans 1.4 tells us that Jesus was raised and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. His resurrection from the dead clearly defined and stated and declared him to be the son of God and to be holy. Because it was the spirit of holiness that raised him from the dead. This is evidence to us that the curse is broken. That Jesus was a worthy sacrifice on our behalf. He took the curse. He took the wrath of the father that we could be forgiven and freed from the curse but the resurrection doesn't only just prove that Jesus was acceptable an acceptable sacrifice but Acts 17 tells us quite clearly in verses 30 and 31 that the resurrection also confirms that there is judgment to come Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by the man whom he has ordained. And just in case there's any doubt, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And so you can have assurance today that your sins are forgiven or that you will be facing judgment. You can have assurance that the curse is broken over your life or if you choose to ignore Christ and walk away, the only hope, the only means by which the curse can be broken, the curse will take you to hell. And you can be assured of that because Jesus is alive. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Why did God do that? Why did God give his son? Was it because there was anything in us that warranted it, that deserved it? Not at all. We were cursed. You go in your fridge and you take out old food. Past its sell by day. Now if you're like me, you look at it and see if there's any hope for it. kind of think, what can I do with this? Maybe if I fry it, it won't taste so bad. It's just me one, yeah? You know what? It's budget living, isn't it, bro? But you know what? Ordinarily, it's consigned to the bin. It's consigned to destruction. But God in his almighty power says, I can regenerate this. I can make this new. And this is what he says of our lives. Amen. Okay, so we see the, uh, the conclusion. God cursed his son with our sin, breaking the curse for all who repent and put their trust in him. That is Christ. The resurrection is proof that Jesus satisfied God's righteous requirement for sin. And not under the curse. We see renewal taking place with regards to hearts, bodies, and the earth. So, Second Corinthians five seventeen, see a renewal of of the hearts. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. Now we read that and we we know it. We've heard it. We say it as believers. I think we really need to meditate on that. The fact that all things have passed away. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So our heart, there's a renewal of hearts promised. Renewal of bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in, the mom- in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised. And the fact that we've got Jesus Christ to look to, God has already, already raised, Jesus has been raised from the dead. All those who put their faith and their trust in, that, that promise now applies to them. They will be raised from the dead. The, the grave is not going to be able to hold us. And as he mentioned earlier, I think I was in um, hospital recently. My nan's going to be 90 years old. And I was looking around um, at just elderly people all dying. And inside me, and I'm sure it's the same for everybody, we say, that's not right. Death is a result of, uh, of the curse. And we look and when we see people dying, it's right for us to say, it's not fair that that person's dying. It's not right that that death is not. That's not God's plan. Is that we that we should die? But death is a, is a result of the curse. So we're we're promised new bodies. God's going to raise us, in, and th- those bodies are going to be so I, I forgot incorruptible, and that we should be changed. Also, there's going to be a new earth. So Revelations um, twenty two three. I haven't got it up. Have you got it up there for me? Amen. And there should be no more curse, but the throne of God. And of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So we see complete renewal. God brings about the curse, curses his own son, and then provides um, uh, salvation for all those who put their faith and their trust in him. Renewal of the body, renewal of, of uh, our hearts, renewal of the earth. No more curse. Amen. And so we see a complete reversal in Christ. Yes, the earth has been cursed. But Christ reverses the curse in the new birth. And this is why he said, unless you be born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And that speaks of what Mark quoted, 2 Corinthians 5.17. A change of heart. Our old cursed hearts need to be regenerated, renewed. And yes, we live in these bodies. And we experience ailments and sickness. But it's just momentary for those who believe. Because the promise is that we will receive new bodies. Incorruptible. No more sickness. No more medication. No more doctors. No more tarrying in prayer for healing. We know God is a healer and he does heal. But we know that ultimately he will heal. He'll finish the job once and for all. For all. We recognize that even the planet will be renewed. No more curse. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a blessing? And so, today, as we celebrate the resurrection, considering that without the death of Christ, there would be no resurrection. Without Good Friday, there would be no Easter Sunday. We are able to celebrate what? The work of God in Christ. Cursing his son with our sin. The sin bearer. So that we might be free. And this is a gift that is given. A gracious gift that is not earned. It's not worked for. It's not merited. You don't have to now try and impress God in order to earn and and to deserve what Christ has done. If you've yet to receive forgiveness of sin, if you've yet to have the curse broken over your life, you can do simply by putting your trust in Jesus Christ and repenting of your sin. Because he done the work. Who could break God's curse? God can. And God did by becoming a man and taking the curse Upon himself. So that we could be forgiven. And so I end with this. John 3.36. He who believes in the son. Has everlasting life. And he who does not believe. The son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. See the curse is broken. There is no more curse. But it's. The remedy, the solution is only found in Christ. And maybe you've come today and it's Easter and, you know, you've been nagged for months and you figured, well, you know what? It's Easter, right? So it's as good a time as any. This might keep them quiet for a few more months. Maybe you've come with an inquiring heart because God is at work in you and you're thinking about, and you're, well, is there anything to this Jesus stuff. Maybe you've come and you've come seeking relief because you realize your life's a mess and you feel like you're cursed and no one don't need to convince you all that we've said and so it hasn't needed to convince you because you've already appreciated that and you've been wanting to try and find relief and here today you find not only the reason for why you feel that way but also the solution. Jesus Christ. And so, um, I wonder if I can ask Tim if you would um, just come back to lead us in the final song. <clears throat> and um, as he does that, as he does that I'd like to pray Heavenly Father I do thank you so much for today I thank you for the reason we are here today being your son and the fact that you have so glorified him your goodness 
shines like the stars, shines like the noonday sun. The fact that we deserve judgment. We warrant the curse upon our lives because in and of ourselves, we are not good. We sin willfully. We sin intentionally. And yet you have provided, you've provided the solution, not even just an answer, but the solution in Christ. And I pray for anyone here today who has yet to surrender to you, has yet to surrender and receive forgiveness and have the curse broken from their lives. I pray that no one would leave here today and walk out cursed as they walked in. But they would join those of us who have put our faith in your son and believe and have been freed from the curse and have the glorious expectation that our deliverance will soon be complete when the living Savior Jesus returns to make all things new. Have your way, Lord, I pray. Thank you for your faithfulness. I'm